Hello, I'm Alan McGuire, and this is Juvenalia, a podcast about challenge things. My co-host today is Sarah Marie Griffin. Hello. Hi, how are you? And our guest is Dara McCausland. Hello. Hello. Hi. Dara is um, a writer whose work has been in Gorse and Dublin Review and Stonecutter. So what are you going to talk to us about today? I'm going to talk about a computer game, um, a PC, uh, well, originally on the PC called Wolfenstein 3D. And it's a, it's a probably one of the early pr- prototypes of... Not the first, but there's another one I want to talk about as well, but we'll get to that. Um, an early prototype of a, the first-person shooter type kind of, of game. It. FPS, yeah. 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 Um, so it came out in 1992, but when did you play it first, do you reckon? Probably in 1993, I would yeah. say. Um, I, uh, I was 12 years old in 1993. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so I would have... Uh, it was a, a shareware game, mm-hmm. which is I think is one of the fascinating things about it, because... Um, uh, well, to explain what share, shareware is, because we're, we're talking about the depths of time here. <laughs> um, the, it, PC games, uh, you could either buy the kind of commercial big games made by the big companies, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of sort of um, indie developers um, that were making these games that you could order from the back of games catalogs for free called shareware. So you would try, try it out. And they were very generous. Often you would get the whole game. And mm. if you liked it, then you would send send them a certain amount of money by post and get extra levels yeah. or stuff. Um, and Wolfenstein came from, uh, I think they were first they were called Apogee and then they were called ID. Mm. Um, just a bunch, just a bunch of kind of programmer guys operating on their own kind of kind of cool idea, really. Um you probably had a home computer by then did you play it or was it in your friend's house or? Um, yeah we <laughs> I'm, I'm probably a, char- a secondary character in this this whole <laughs> story is going to be my identical twin brother uh, we operated kind of as a unit back mm-hmm. then um, uh, as identical twins do when they're about 12 years old they, they sort of separate out, out a little bit then into their mm. into their later teens but um, yeah we we um, we were obsessed with the consoles, with the Sega Mega Drive and the Super mm. Nintendo, and a couple of kids had got them. But we we had a, if, it's in retrospect, we had a really cool console. Yeah. But at the time, we didn't think it was cool. It was the Atari seventy eight hundred, right. oh. and nobody nobody else had it. Yeah, it was kind of Atari's um, take on the the eight bit console, which would have been the. The, the two main ones were the Nintendo Entertainment System and the Sega Master System. So Atari brought this out, but but it was delayed. It came out too late, so it kind of mm. flopped. Um, so they were selling them for cheap in Navin Shopping Centre. <laughs> they had about three of them. And our parents, we really wanted a, a, a Nintendo, but they got us the Atari 7800. Now, in saying that, we, we ended up loving it. And, and our dad, who... who who still can't send a text off a mobile phone got addicted to the game that was um, inside the, the, it was actually inside the console and you plug it into the telly the mm. game comes on and the game was called Asteroids so he would sit in the know, sitting yeah, room yeah, when yeah. he wasn't at work yeah. with the curtains pulled playing Asteroids <laughs> and we had to bully him off off the co- console um, to play it so so we had the Atari 7800 um, then we had extreme envy for the the Mega Drive and the Super Nintendo for a while, um, but then we 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 were getting like in Navin Market actually they were selling um, old computer games magazines that were a month old in bundles for fifty p yes. um, with the covers ripped off them because the the news agents had to send the covers back to get a refund so yep. so we would get all these PC magazines that were a month or two old. 
Um, and one of them was called PC Zone. And actually a journalist that's kind of known for other things today, Charlie Brooker, he was oh. he was writing in PC Zone. And I would say it was his best work. <laughs> but he's, he's gone downhill gradually ever since. Um, uh, and especially to teenage boys, his his journal like it was kind of event writing for us. We mm-hmm. used to we used to just gobble it up and we got kind of romantically attached to the idea of getting a PC. So our parents drove up to Northern Ireland to get one for cheaper and we got one um in in some town in Armagh, a, a, a 386 processor, which was, if you think, okay, we're talking about gigahertz today, mm. it was 20 megahertz <laughs> was, the, was the processor. Mm. So that was, that was um, where it all began. And after that, we got like extremely into PC gaming for mm. the next probably five years, I would say. Because yeah. those discs that came with like PC Zone, all those kind of things were amazing. They were, yeah. Just they the were such a bag of treats. Yeah. yeah. So, so you, you, Alan, have experience in this. <laughs> yeah, I was probably nine. When we got our first PC, but it was Windows oh, right, ninety five, okay. so it was a couple of years later. Yeah, yeah. but and we had one as well. It yeah. was really, it was really powerful. I was I, a big SNES kid all the way. Oh, up, but brilliant! The PC kind of. My dad discovered how to download emulators of a oh, Game Boy, so yeah. which means you don't have to buy the mm. Game Boy. Yeah. Uh, so I was, yeah, I was in that wagon yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. But actually, the first place I played Wolfenstein was on our school computer because we finally got a, a computer in each classroom in like fifth class so when I was like 10 but all that was on the computer was Solitaire, Wolfenstein and Encarta <laughs> so if you're finished work you have to go use the computer yeah, Encarta had like yeah. a maze level didn't it Encarta had like a it had a um, quest. quiz game thing yeah, yeah with the gesture yeah it's, that's but such that's a motley crew of games yeah. but that's so <laughs> typical of the PC you have so yeah. you have so much variety and weirdness mm. that you wouldn't get with a console like, I don't know yeah. how it ended up on a school PC in the first place mm. but it was there and I think it, was it was like in a kit or something some, yeah. Yeah. or maybe some rogue smuggler yeah. <laughs> <laughs> rogue sub teacher yeah yeah which I've actually boned up on some Wolfenstein uh, trivia, and and um, there are there are there is a story, a narrative about rogue Wolfenstein smuggling. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, um, in Germany. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> because um, cultural depictions of of um, Nazi Germany or the swastika, and Wolfenstein <laughs> is like just like a hundred swastikas, <laughs> like Yikes. in the opening scene. Like There's every- whole levels designed as swastikas. Yeah, 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 because you're escaping from a Nazi keep and. Um, so all the walls are adorned with pictures of the Fuhrer and swastikas, and um, so that made it illegal in mm. Germany. So um, German gamers were really keen to get this game because everyone was talking about it yeah. because it was so, um, in terms of of its 3D graphics, it was you know it was the game to get, mm. and. Um, they so they in the back of German games magazines they changed the name of it to this code name, <laughs> uh, and they had a picture of a false game, so you had to be in the know yeah. to, as to what the game was, and you could order it that way and and get a, a kind of an illegal copy of it. Yeah, that's amazing. Then they re, then they reprogrammed the game for an official once it once it grew from its original shareware mm. um, into a kind of a bigger commercial beast. They they reprogrammed the game so that. The images were, were removed in the German version. But when it came out in Super Nintendo, they removed the yeah. swastikas as well. So what's left? It's just walls. <laughs> no, no, they replaced them with, with benign symbols. <laughs> or, or maybe vague, no, vaguely, vaguely um, Nazi-ish symbols like, like uh, and crosses and yeah. things. Um, um, yeah, and that was its first problem. But then it ran into trouble with the, the actual the Red Cross humanitarian organization <laughs> because there were... Um, 
red crosses on the health packs that you oh, yeah. yeah that you power up from um, and improve your health. And the red cross went on this sort of mad crusade against all the games that were using the symbol. So they replaced mm. it with hearts in, in a in a later version. But I think I think the red cross kind of failed because I think a lot of games since have it's kind of the the symbol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Even still, it's weird. Mm. And. I know there's some like in Germany is it that all blood has to be green in games and in oh. Australia it's black I think all blood has to be black okay. or is it the other way around one of those yeah I think they've loosened that now but until <laughs> very recently in Germany blood in games has to be green yeah I feel like play. I remember playing um, Street Fighter or something from that that sort of beat him up like button basher mm. I am six and I do not know what this is uh, time and noting that the blood was green mm. and even back even back mm. then being like Come on now. <laughs> it is Streets of Rage, it's green as well. Mortal Kombat, I think. Mortal Kombat, Mor- that is it. Yeah. Mortal Kombat, that was the one. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was just like, yeah, but I know what this really it's is. It's weird in respect that like, computer games are, like can do anything and you can go anywhere in the world, but you still have this, this option to turn blood on or off. Like, that's the important thing you need to be able to control for yourself. It's like, do you want blood or not? Like the presence yeah. of violence. Yeah. Like, Some I mean, people yeah. faint at the sight of blood. Mm, that's that's true. true. But also, like the you know the the storytelling method of of the video game by and large, like how you move the plot forward. I was I, this is what I was talking about yesterday, and the wrote an essay about this recently, and uh, how you move that story forward is by violence. Like mm. it is exactly how you tell a story. Mm. You kill the thing, you move forward. You kill the thing, you move forward. You kill the thing in a different way, you move forward. And like that's and I feel like pretending that that's not what you're doing by changing the colour of the blood. It's like, mm-hmm. own yourself. Come on. You know, go big or go home. But that's all That's all censorship board stuff. Well, the censorship board don't actually look into the yeah the, the deeper implications of telling stories through violence. Kind of structural things. I mean, yeah. like, I've been murdering that's, baddies since I was a six-year-old when I'm mm. grand, but, like, I don't think it actually does impact people that way. I, but I do think that... I think it's a bit of a... It's like, a, okay, we've done it. Our job is done here. <laughs> all the blood is green, you know? I don't know about it. So you and your brother got the G. You got Wolfenstein, and was it like an instant like obsession, or was it like? Yeah. It? Um, so I said it was the. It was an early type of a first-person shooter. Mm. We got a, another game before it that I kind of want to talk about. Yeah, as go well. yeah. yeah. It was called the Catacomb Abyss, and okay. it was made by the same developers. Um, the main difference. It's this was sort of the prototype for Wolfenstein, but the main difference between it were the graphics. So Catacomb Abyss had a limited, more limited pal- palette called EGA, mm-hmm. which only had 16 colours, and wow. Wolfenstein was VGA, which had 256 colours, so it was a real sort of step up. Yeah. But um, Wolfenstein as well moved really fast, but the Catacomb Abyss had this really grungy, cool vibe. And I, I went back to that as well, actually, mm. a few days ago um, when I was kind of looking at stuff about Wolfenstein. Um, and it, like Wolfenstein, because I, I, I went back to Doom as well, um, the, the game that was subsequent to Wolfenstein. And it, the earlier ones I kind of prefer. They seem to hold up better. Mm. Um, there's, or maybe it's just something to do with my own imagination and my own attachment to them. But but the Catacomb of this is so cool. Um, it's like it moves a bit slower than Wolfenstein, but... Uh, you, you're in. You see, you're escaping from these catacombs that are controlled by an evil wizard, but um, it gives these little kind of gnomic uh, descriptions of the areas you're in that are yeah. really like, and they they've all re- remained in my mind. And I, I I actually even learned a new word from it 
guano. Uh, so it was like one you're escaping from this cave and it says beneath knee deep in guano. <laughs> and I, I didn't look I didn't look it up for a while and I, I the word was this kind of mystery word in my yeah. mind. Then I found out it's it's batshit. Yeah. 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 I learned that what that meant from Ace Ventura too. Oh that's right. A, that's a okay. big, big, guano is a big plot point in Ace Ventura. 90s learning too. words. Yeah. yeah. Um but yeah so that had this sort of cool grungy fantasy vibe to it but then um Wolfenstein really blew everyone's minds because the programmers worked out this way to make um a game similar to the Catacomb Abyss but to look like ex- a sort of a, kind of a quantum or paradigm leap more sophisticated mm. and really fast that was the, the the really impressive thing about it was that the 3D was so smooth and to us it it was sort of it was sort of like taking LSD or something <laughs> like like it was completely amazing because our computer w- wasn't quite it's sort of like you know the when we got it sort of the second wine up from the bottom on the menu you yeah, know yeah. it was just functional um good it could play a lot of games but it couldn't play the fanciest games mm-hmm. but there were games that were less impressive and less fast than Wolfenstein that there was no chance they could have worked on our computer like mm-hmm. flight simulator games but Wolfenstein yeah. looked like 10 times better and it ran perfectly and this was the real draw of it well mm-hmm. there was you know there was other other things too like blowing up Nazis and stuff when you're a <laughs> yeah. teenage boy but or teenage any gender mm. but um, uh, yeah so that was that was kind of um, the the thing about it was was the graphics and the, the sense of moving around these 3D spaces you know the kind of the geography of the game was kind of mind-blowing mm. you know um, and, and it was like the whole the whole thing about it like it was very very well um, kind of like you think of perfect examples of a genre like the perfect platformer is, is Mario or, or Mega Man and everything seemed to be in the right place like the guards were in the right place yeah. the, 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 there was variation in the levels that you know like you would always be surprised even though there, it was so limited what they were working with like three levels in suddenly the walls become wood <laughs> before that they were bricks yeah. and we're like whoa wood you know like yeah. that kind of thing and yeah it was it, there's just something something really cool about that game mm. yeah yeah and did like did you I don't share where so did you just have those first 10 levels or did you ever expand out um, yeah but <laughs> I don't I don't recall us I don't think we paid for them I think either a friend of ours got them and lent them to us or there was a man who we used to call, he was like, <laughs> we grew up in Kells, so he was the computer fixer guy in Kells. He was mm. like the first person to know about PCs, apparently, so he had this reputation. Uh, he's since run as a Fine Gael town, town <laughs> councillor. <laughs> That's his, his future. But before he became a Fine Gael town councillor, he used to go from house to house and he'd sit, he'd sit at your PC smoking loads of fags and then... And then he, He'd he'd fix it, but as well he'd give you like like loads of stuff like yeah. games and all. So I think uh, I think he he could well have been the source of mm. of all the levels. Yeah, but we got the yeah we got the full game. There's six episodes, and each has about I think about ten ten levels in yeah. it or so. Yeah. What you're saying about the lag was really interesting, and the idea that it moved fast was part of the appeal. That there was no waiting around, and that there were games that were less less good that computers back then just refused to play yeah and uh i had i feel like that's my primary memory of pc gaming growing up because i did do a fair bit of it was the reason that i preferred the emulators which looked terrible and were largely translated 
so poorly that they were <laughs> almost almost incomprehensible. Yeah. Like my first po- my first Pokemon game was like Pocket Monsters yeah. translated from Japanese on my like computer. Yeah. Uh, it was a I have no I I learning all the Pokemon's names for the first time like when the TV show came out a couple mm. of years later I was like, well, this is this is new. I didn't know what any <laughs> of these guys were called. Um but Real a real primary memory for me is speed. I mean, I we had mist on my on my computer, and I, yeah. I, I God, I did the best of mist that I could for a kid. Uh, I loved it atmospherically, but the computer just resisted it. And I think that speed thing is really fascinating because we sat down uh, a little while ago to watch um, to watch Wolfenstein. Which yeah. I got access to it, and we watched a speed run of it. Yeah, well, cool. we watched about two minutes of a speed run of it yeah. before I was like. This is going so fast that I'm going to get. <laughs> You're going to get. Yeah. I'm getting car. I'm getting car sick. First person, first person shooters are really interesting in what they do to, like, in terms of putting you in the body of the of the protagonist and and like breaking the fourth wall or inviting a breaking mm. of the fourth wall. But for me, I always find them almost sickening that mm. there's this. It's a, it's it's this slight wrongness. And yeah. trying to watch the speedrun of it was like, oh, I, oh my goodness, it is like LSD. I can't. Yeah. I have to go outside for a minute. It was a bit. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Rock and um, because when you read the piece, well, when we used to read the PC game magazines back then, they would give the specs of the the, the minimum specs mm. that could run the game in the, in the bottom of the review, yeah. and we would be making this sort of kind of balance up in our mind thinking will will our computer or won't yeah. it so mm. so would say it needs tw- so the magic number for a while was 25 megahertz <laughs> I keep laughing now yeah. when I think of gigahertz yeah. but the, yeah the magic number was 25 megahertz and um, it, this game that we we subsequently became even more obsessed with than Wolfenstein um, an adventure game called Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis mm. uh it's that said it needed 25 megahertz but we we gambled on it and because you could do this thing you see when um the the game magazines used to show you how you could actually go into files and the the important file was this file called auto exec bat dot bat and you would go inside it so and you would sort of reprogram the files so you could trick your computer into thinking it had less operations to run um, and it would make it run a game a little bit more competently than than it would otherwise. Early um, so, hacking, yeah, yeah. Early, mm. kind of early hacking. Yeah, it was. Um, this makes it sound like I know a jot about computer programming. It all, <laughs> it all fell out the window when I when I got into music and stuff, and mm. and uh, you know I I completely um, have no no skill or knowledge in that area. It's all a mystery to me. But I did did actually do that for a while. Learned how to go into into that file and. And adjust it, but then the thing, like you were saying, Sarah Marie, is about, about the speed. You would actually, if if the game was worth it, you would suffer through the lag and you the slow. Just wait. You just sit <laughs> yeah, there yeah. while your computer Watching made it. those horrific noises. It would grind you know? and <laughs> like it was a real and your and it, so, it would sound <sighs> literally like your computer was a human dying, weaving in front of you, just trying to load the next screen. Yeah. And like especially for me with Mist, it was just so obtuse and difficult. And if you solved a puzzle. You're sitting there feeling like a champion, an 11 year old genius because you managed to put this dot in the right place and then it just wouldn't load the next screen. And you're kind of bargaining with this old machine going, please, please, please. I'm so clever. Please reward me for my cleverness. (laughs) And it just, it was such a different time. And I feel that's where console gaming stepped stepped up and stepped in in this effortlessness where you could just put that cartridge in that thing, maybe. If you hadn't played it in a minute, you might have to blow into it. But by and large, you could just put it in the machine and 
a coin would ping on the screen and you could just go. Yeah. And uh, that shortcut. Sort of the idea of a kind of a universality and, mm. and you don't need to worry about, um, yeah, you don't need to, to, to worry about all the little tricky, tricky PC gaming. And it still is. It's it's kind of complicated and a bit arcane, really. And it's Which always had that, that, yeah, it's the, always there, had that reputation. There are games there that are so accessible and amazing stories to be told and yeah. experienced. But yeah. through this sort of even Steam I find very unfriendly you know even visually it's just like yeah, look Steam, at this mad list of I, games I yeah. play Steam and it kind of creeps me out as well the yeah. same way that iTunes does because I feel that Steam is a kind of like to explain Steam maybe for people that are listening to the podcast it's the PC interface now for playing games so to, to play a game on the PC now you need to download this program Steam and it's a bit like iTunes and, yeah and it's like goth the, iTunes they're kind yeah. of feeding sort of feeling into your computer and finding out you know you need to be online a lot of the time for some of the games you need to sign up with credit card details so you're kind of giving away bits of you know Mm. of stuff that you didn't have to do in the past and and it's yeah it's kind of you feel less you feel less autonomous and you feel like you've got less agency that maybe you don't quite own the games that Steam yeah. owns them or something. Like, like dipping into a library. Yeah. But what yeah. it also does is it almost acts as a console interface so it checks it does the is this 25 megahertz? Like it checks your system and permits yeah, you to play the games yeah. that you can play. Yeah, like, but the whole process of going through it is so it's 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 a uh, it's no crack yeah. and it almost ru- not that it ruins the experience because I've played some terrific games through mm. Steam in the last year and, and fun ones and serious ones of, of all different yeah. kinds but loading up that info I'm just oh it's so hostile yeah. <laughs> it's just like can I live give me a little white box that I can stick a cartridge into any yeah. day and do you still play play emulators no, not so much anymore because I have because I'm a grown lady who can buy games. It's yeah. so exciting. <laughs> well, I would say that probably ninety percent. Like I, I play games when I can, and in mm. my mind, I play games a lot. A lot, but my um, fiance has a no. You hardly ever play them. You just talk about them and think, think about, about them, them. And <laughs> or watch the, or watch someone else play them on YouTube. And yeah. that's something else I actually want to talk about: the satisfaction of, of, watching, of watching other people yeah, play video games because it was, really is a thing. When I was a teenager, my worst nightmare, and I tell you I spend enough years I've done my time watching boys play video games where you just cannot get a handle on the controller mm. because they do not want to hear or you have to say or think and they don't believe that you can understand it and la da 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 gentle teenage sexism but now I actually watch dudes play video games for a hobby which I really have a very hard time reconciling with <laughs> where I'll sit down and I'll watch these these channels full of guys if I'm writing or if I'm working I'll just throw up a game that I love from the past on YouTube and I'll leave two benign commentators playing through it in the background because it's very calming. I don't mm. know what it is about it. There's yeah. something lovely about it yeah. in the background. And so there's two camps. So you're in the commentator camp because I like to watch the, the kind of silent ones. Sometimes I watch yeah. the silent ones for the jams, like um, for the music. So they, 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 you can say play through no voiceover in YouTube mm. or you can watch it on Twitch and stuff. But um, I've, I went through a phase last year of um, because I was watching this thing on YouTube. It was... Um, this guy, it's amazing. It's actually probably the greatest thing that was ever done on YouTube, and I hope, I hope that the guy who's doing it gets recognised in future social histories for the importance of what he's doing or, or cultural history. He's he's an American man who's playing through literally every single Nintendo game. 
um, that was ever made and giving a history of it and it's called Crontendo so he's going through them all in chronological chronological order Um, and he he talks he talks through them but I would find the games that he talks through and and I find interesting I will get these silent playthroughs (laughs) so I was going into this kind of Buddhist trance just sitting with my laptop watching this game from the 1980s silently or not well without a human voice but mm. the music and the, and the you know the the sound effects just just playing through um and kind of getting it and then you can kind of because you're not playing it yourself you 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 get absorbed into aspects of the game world um and you realize a lot of the little shoot 'em ups and stuff the graphics and them the, the Japanese being a culture of kind of continual refinement on mm. on a theme the, the difference between Japanese role playing games and western role playing games tends to be western role playing games always try to reinvent the wheel with each new game mm. and do something amazing and new but the Japanese love to refine something that's uh, already been you know a success now there's a bit of Final Fantasy 13 part yeah. 2 <laughs> now there's a bit of change that like because because the I suppose capitalist markets and everything have started to cause a lot more experiment experimenting in a kind of a western way in the Japanese role playing games but there's still a great audience in Japan for 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 basic models of games that have hardly altered apart from refinements of mm. of of the original um uh, until it becomes something quite beautiful and perfect mm. um and so so I'd be watching these shoot 'em up games on the Nintendo and looking at the artwork and mm. the and the backgrounds and thinking whoa this is this is real it's not just like you're not just watching it for the music and the, and the action you're you're getting a kind of an aesthetic um yeah, experience uh, yeah joy out of out of the way it looks um, and yeah it's 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 great it's a good it's a good hobby it is actually it's a good harmless good. hobby I, mean, I feel like I never speak about <laughs> yeah. it out loud because yeah. I do it so constantly but I feel like it's the kind of thing where if I was sitting there to brunch with the girls and be like guys do you want to see this speeder yeah. and I just watch they just be like you, you yeah, yeah. Um, but honestly they uh it is, an, it is, you do see things that you don't get the chance to see as a child when you're watching mm. them. Because when you're a child watching them, I personally, playing the Super Nintendo growing up, I had two people who I would recruit to beat level bosses for me because they made me so <laughs> anxious. It gives you sort of an insight to the kind of kid I was that I couldn't handle the Donkey Kong Country 3 boss because it looked too much like a real wasp. Like, But um, you're so, when you're a child, we, we were speaking a little bit before we turned on the 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 podcast about you have a different capacity for engaging with a different world your imagination is broader yeah. you're, you li- you have, you're, you're more open to living in other worlds mm. so when you're playing games as a kid you are fully playing those games and you are eyes, your eyes are on the prize you're less really exploring in many of them and looking yeah. at the world than you are doing your <coughs> thing whereas now in playthroughs I can you can see details and things like that mm. that you never would have seen when you were a kid playing them because you were too busy hyperventilating and trying to shoot the target Yeah, or yeah. I was too busy hyperventilating <laughs> you know so yeah, it opened up so many games to me that I never would have known about because not a lot of things came out here, you know. It's true. Like yeah. our the European market is so much more specific than even the Americans. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it it kind of brings me to this idea when you're talking about Steam. There's a kind of a counter counter site to Steam that's doing very well now called GOG Good Old Games. Yeah. Okay. Um, there was like never first there was a sort of like when people were talking about retro gaming and it's this sort of you know it's a big hobby now and people buy all the old cartridges and everything and there's podcasts about it um PC retro gaming was never quite as big a deal as um, for whatever reason. And I think it's probably something to do with the the collecting aspect of collecting cartridges and stuff. It was never quite mm. as big as console retro gaming. 
But all of a sudden, about a year ago, PC retro gaming has completely exploded. But before a year ago, you could get all the PC games from the 90s and 80s on these sites and you can still get some of them. But there's but now that retro gaming, PC gaming has become more commercial, there's sort of um, legal takedowns and mm. stuff. But there are these sites called Abandonware and one, the best one was called Ab- Abandonia. And you could go on the site and you could literally find every, every single PC game that you ever remembered, but ones like them that you didn't remember. And there would be literally 2,000 of these games. And then you would download this interface called DOSBox. So DOS was the old from from my, yeah, yeah my dinosaur youth was the 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 operating system that PCs ran on um and so the DOS box is basically an emulator that makes DOS open so it makes your computer open a program that thinks it's an old PC and you play the games through it so you can buy them now on on good old games and they tend to be very cheap like 2.99 or 3.99 and um, but all good old games does is it kind of does what what you could do yourself it download it it downloads with the game DOSBox and the the file and and you basically e- emulate it but it's becoming a big a big thing now people are getting you know, really back into the old because they are like they really have something going for them. A lot of them, mm. a lot of stuff has been lost in in games. I think in the kind of triple A titles and towards, yeah. yeah, realism and the perfect and Call of Duty. When Call, will we yeah, be ever to perfectly crazy fascist way? game where Yikes. you're like, you know, it's like this murder fest. It's like everybody's favorite game. So boring. Um, although I'm saying that after on a podcast where I'm talking about <laughs> Wolfenstein. Yeah, yeah um, uh, and I know I, I accept the the, the contradictions and. Um, uh, and it's funny, I, I, I want Sarah Marie to talk a bit more about the difference between first person and uh, and the, the way it makes you feel. Yeah. Because um, um, actually, first person, Wolfenstein is a kind of an anomaly for me because um, even though I'm and have been really into games and game culture, I, I'm not that good at, at playing games. Oh, so, I'm the same, so, yeah. Um, same. I finished like two games ever, I think. Probably yeah. my strength is in, in very slow games like role-playing games mm. but the first person uh, game um wolfenstein was perfect maybe because of the age i was and everything i did get good at it but but subsequent first person games that i tried later on in life um like call of duty i just couldn't get the nuance or the mm. or i couldn't be bothered yeah um so so um actually first person isn't my favorite my favorite is is and I, I'm, I'll have some more to say about it in a while, but the isometric view where you're looking down on things from it. From the top. Yeah. Like, yeah. From, yeah. 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 Totally. Um, but you talk, you please, please share <laughs> about, about my yeah. horrible car sickness. Yeah. Yeah. I get really very bad car sickness and I've been playing games since I was very small. And I do like the isometric view as well in a big way because a lot of the games that the, that would have transported me hugely as a kid, like Link's Awakening, the Legend of Zelda game and, and, and like Jesus, even Pokemon, things like that are all drop and it gives your real sense of world and space mm. and your own place within that mm. which I find really interesting and again when you're a kid you want to be consumed by something mm-hmm. but for f- first persons I-, I don't know what it does to my inner ear but it makes me very sick and um, <laughs> I had this experience playing Goldeneye on the Nintendo 64 with, with a bunch of lads uh, as a as a, a wee sprite myself I, I just have this this Ugh. idea of you going into the pharmacy now and saying can I have um, travel sickness tablets and they're like, like oh C-bands. great where are you going on holiday no I'm, I'm yeah. going home to play a computer yeah. game but I will say I recently not recently oh my god it's not recently but I played, when I played Portal for the first time in 2010 Kerry my, my husband was like you're gonna love this mm. um, I found the first person structure of that very comforting because it's quite fluid 
It's mm. not jerky. And the world that you're in is very... When I was looking at Wolfstein earlier, I was like, God, those ceilings are very low. That's very claustrophobic. <laughs> and I immediately got this experience of claustrophobia from mm. it. Whereas Portal, even though it's an all, all an internal environment, as Shell, your your movement is very fluid and very mm. soft. And then in Portal 2, they somehow resign, they somehow like refine that even further so that you just it just feels so organic and it's really it's non-jerky it's there's something about it that refreshes my sense of maybe claustrophobia that I have mm. gotten from first person mm. shooters mm. in the past and um I think as well, keeping you like an Annie Long car ride <laughs> when you want to throw up, keeping yourself busy in those worlds. Like I can't just be moving forward and looking for things. I have to be focused on achieving a puzzle. And that's why Portal works for me, because you have one set goal and every goal that you achieve teaches you something. And it's mm. non it's, pa- it's pacifist, mm-hmm. I guess, <laughs> more yeah, or less. Um, and the undoing of each puzzle teaches you something new in a really satisfying way. So it's not panicked. There's no fever behind it. It's just happening to you. So I think it's all, I think not only is it the the visual angles of the world, it's the charged atmosphere and the panic. So where wherever the charged atmosphere, the, the, the clunky looking around and the claustrophobia intersect, that's where I need to get up and leave the room because I'm feeling like I'm going to throw up. And it's so strange, but it really, really happens. Yeah. So how did yeah. like, the boss fights in Portal, like the very end last bits? Cause that's, in Portal? Yeah. That's I find fine. When yeah. I played it, I was like... Hey, I'm completely at sea here now. I've oh, never played Portal? Never <gasps> played oh, oh you would love no. Portal. I, I, I've, yeah, I, and I, you know, I, I, I've actually held it in my hand in the shop and said, okay, I'm going to buy this. And then I bought something else mm. instead. So, yeah. It's so, the writing is just the best writing. It's astonishing. It's really, really yeah, I, then I yeah, will I've say no more about actually, it because yeah. then it's best going blind. Mm. Yeah. Because it's a terrific experience. The writing is astonishing. The gameplay itself is so satisfying. Mm. And the mm. first person element of it mm. is, it adds to the experience of the game instead of, uh, alienating you or, or I don't know I'm, I'm, I may be the only person in the world who gets carsick from this but uh, <laughs> I think it's yeah. quite common actually I've heard other people say that before yeah. Yeah. it's one of those weird things yeah you don't see it in like gaming magazines so it's not about in <laughs> games writing there's a personal essay yeah. about <laughs> the games that make yeah. me sick but I don't know yeah yeah Sorry for the interruption. Um, it's me, your old pal Alan. Did you know that the Headstuff Podcast Network is a sponsor now? Well, we do. It's Bunsen, and I want to tell you about the first time that I ate in Bunsen. Uh, you might have noticed that the sound quality in this ad is different to the rest of the podcast, and that's because I'm not in a luxurious Headstuff studio. I'm recording this on a dictaphone app on my phone in Waterford. Yep, I live in Waterford, and that will be important later, so remember it. Remember it very well. Um, so I was going to Dublin for a book launch and I asked Twitter where I should eat beforehand and my friend Fiona said Bunsen and because her food recommendations are always spot on that's where I decided to go uh, I checked her website bunsen.ie uh, first obviously to check it out and if you really want to get hungry for burgers go look at bunsen.ie because my god those burgers so anyway I arranged to meet my friend Trevor there. Um, I have a lot of friends. I'm not boasting. That's just how it is, you know. Um, but he's running late. Um, so he set to order anyway without him. Um, so there I was, sitting in the Wexford Street Bunsen. Uh, just an old man up from Waterford for the day, unaware of what was about to happen to his mouth. And the burger arrived. And, well, I looked at the website again. It looked amazing. As you all know, uh, I've been into it. And this genuinely happened. Uh, I said, holy shit, out loud, by myself in Bunsen. Uh, Bunsen burgers are so good God If I lived in Dublin I'd eat there all the time Rotating between the three locations Of Extra Street Temple Bar And Ann Street So the staff didn't try to Stage an intervention on me But I live in Waterford So that's not going to happen Anytime soon 
So please eat a Bunsen burner today for all us poor non-Dubliners who can't. So yeah, so yeah, I was going to talk about then um, the isometric. Yeah, yeah the lockdown. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, 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 so it's at a kind of a three-quarter angle. So you're not you're not looking directly down from mm. from from above. There were games where you, there was a, different games where you could look directly down as if you were um, bird's eye, a ceiling. Yeah, like mm. a bird's eye, like as if you were a tile in the ceiling or something. Um, but the isometric view is you, you're at an angle, so you can see kind of three-dimensional structures mm. and um, stuff like that. Um, there was there, there was something about that particular angle that even if a game was absolutely crap um, for a while, um, if I could see little figures moving around on this three-dimensional uh, plane that I could control or move around, mm. that it, it, even if the gameplay was rubbish, that there was still some kind of a magic or something about it uh, and I've thought a good bit about it since because it, it, obviously anything that that affects you and uh, because we're all we're all there's always going to be other people like you um I've noticed that there's there's a, a, a revival in in three or, or the isometric role-playing games by people who've said, oh, role-playing games went absolutely rubbish after they switched to this first person from from the isometric view. Mm. So the last great, uh, there are games you might have heard of, um, uh, isometric PC role-playing games were probably Fallout 2 mm-hmm. and um, B- Baldur's Gate and, and Baldur's yeah. Gate 2 and Neverwinter yeah. Nights. And I suppose they're kind of the peak of it for me. And, and I played them even quite quite late on when my imagination was quite dried up and jaded <laughs> and and still they still kind of affected me as as profoundly so i've thought a lot about like what what is, what is it about that viewpoint and then i have one worrying idea that maybe it's it's because i i'm quite um deferent in real life and and passive uh, maybe it's something megalomaniac because you feel like a god <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is the angle yeah because you're a god looking at it, its world with like its little figures and you know um the other thing is is like then i thought well it's a bit like chess or, or a board game uh, yeah. but in real life and and it's not just again it's not just the, the strategizing or the, the, like chess is aesthetically pleasing because the figures are nicely carved and the the there's a kind of um geometric symmetry to the board um and the two players are kind of like gods as well mm. so there's that as well moving your little uh, armies around but but there, there there is like i think something that's often overlooked is is, is aesthetics and not in just but normally like game reviews can and were frustrating in that when they talk about the graphics um mm. they're just talking but but there has been a change since but but normally they're just talking about how realistic is it you yeah. know how close to real life not quite some reviewers would be more clued in but 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 it would tend more to be about how how realistic and and um flashy it looked as opposed to how refined mm. it looked and i think it, it it definitely the aesthetic of the game is a big a big part of the experience and that games that look look you know aesthetically pleasing have have definitely appealed to me more over the years than ones that don't. yeah that's why Dial. so many first person shooters are just oh, yeah. blah it's just yeah. brown and grey everything and it's, unca- yeah. it's uncanny valley as well like I played and I know uncanny valley yeah. yeah we were all just like they're, they look like it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck but it's not breathing mm. and I that 
it falls into that weird <laughs> liminal yeah. space where you're like you're yeah. testing. they couldn't have just put in a chest animation but some like, of those games have a really cool uncanny oh. appeal at the same time yeah. <laughs> I was playing there's this game that came out you know Skyrim the yeah, role player yeah, yeah. Um, but the game that, that preceded it or no no bar one the, the Oblivion preceded it but the one that came before that was called Morrowind uh, and I downloaded that off Steam again to, just to play it again because I remember when I played it the first time I thought whoa the the characters in it are really realistic mm-hmm. <laughs> but then it's just like now you play it they're like mannequins out of Brown Thomas with like <laughs> with like you know um the, their entire face is static and their mouth yeah. is just like kind of wriggling as they, as they speak and yeah. they're, they're, but but there's something um kind of darkly weird and and cool about it now like in in retrospect and and makes it makes you think as well about like um the levels of realism in games what we think right now is like super real we'll probably look back in two years it's amazing how how, uh, mutable it is whereas whereas games that are deliberately designed and stylized age better Mm. like I remember when um, oh for sure like when I remember I remember when I bought the Wind Waker for the GameCube when I was growing up big Zelda kit all the way up and there was this huge backlash against it because it was cell shaded so it was very very stylized everything and it looked sort of slightly cartoonish and there were no defined lines on any of the figures everything mm. moved in a really interesting way this it is was, a Zelda game yeah, yeah and yeah. it's beautiful it's set on the open sea it's a very beautiful game is it on the DS the Nintendo uh, no it's on the Wii U at the oh, moment the they, they did okay. a HD version of it which is delicious yeah. because it was deliberately stylized it wasn't like let's try and make this mm. main character look like a real person let's try and it was more like let's try and do an artistic interpretation mm. of it and that game is is oh Jesus is 15 years old something like that something <laughs> this, is the, this is the horror of talking yeah. something that would shock you to your core as you probably are learning as you go through these podcasts yeah, throwback juvenilia yeah. it's, it's like it yeah. should be called how ancient are you <laughs> the podcast <laughs> uncomfortable yeah. home truth bleeding ancient yeah. 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 yeah but like it still looks great it holds up because the design was deliberate and it was an, it was an artistic movement mm. instead of an attempt to emulate reality in some way mm. which becomes uncanny and looks shitty because it's it's like a, a rung and a ladder of them trying to get this thing perfect as opposed to, hey, this is a pretty picture we drew, yeah. which stays pretty even if it's 15 years old or mm. 20 years old. I'm thinking like that reminds you of Braid. Mm. Like oh, Braid is outstanding. Like yeah. You look at you know instantly that it's Braid when you see it. Yeah. Every single shot of it, every yeah. single screen is... That's d- undeniably braid. Yeah, yeah. But it also yeah. couldn't have existed with braid couldn't specifically have existed without its predecessors. Oh yeah. And I love that the games that we get to play now that would be the sort of the indie guys, the indie development de- yeah. developed games are there written are some really cool mind bending ideas yeah. coming out in some of the indie games. Another one that I remember um was Fez. That was, oh, yeah, Fez. That was yeah. stunning. You know, yeah. Carrie couldn't play Fez. My husband couldn't play Fez at all. And I sat down and I don't know what happened, but I was like, This is the game that I've mm. been waiting to play yeah. my whole yeah. life. I know exactly how to play this. And he was kind yeah. of sitting there and was like, That's amazing. I was like, I don't know what's happening to me. <laughs> because I've been jumping over holes my whole life. Mm-hmm. Because that's what I taught, learned how to do when I was a tiny kid. And the use of dimensional space in Fez is amazing as well like it just goes on in this the world is is this incredible like tree of space and a uh, listener <laughs> go play it it's stunning uh, oh Fez is great Fez yeah. is available on Steam for yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah no but, but equally Fez and Braid and even Undertale we mentioned earlier couldn't exist without the mm. games that came before them so we're we have the luxury even within the sort of clunkiness of Steam to be able to play games that are developed by people who were who played like Wolfenstein when they were growing up? Who played the games we played? Yeah, you yeah. know, it's like a, a touchstone. 
you said you kind of got out of games once you discovered music and stuff, did you? Yeah, yeah. like, um, um, not, well, I never really got totally out of them, but, but um, like, looking back, and I probably look back a little more than, than is healthy, but because because I write and, yeah. and mm. I think a bit about, you know, um, periods that I passed through in my life and uh, the ins and outs of them. But, uh, for yeah, for for a while, I think the predominant, I suppose, like I wasn't into sports and stuff. So most of my hobbies and stuff would have been kind of based around my imagination. Mm. So, so first it, it was books, then it was games um even though i continue to read but games became the you know the the the, 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 the kind of the, the lord of my imagination and yeah. mm-hmm. um, but then it became books again uh, horror horror um fiction around the age of 15 and 16 14 15 but 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 then from that period onwards um right through my 20s i was completely obsessed with music mm. um uh, in indie music, um, and then subsequently techno, which <laughs> which I'm still very like I'm still very very. But but after that, then it was po- poetry um, and games again. Yeah. Then after that, so I suppose everyone goes through fa- phases in their lives, yeah, um, as they grow older. But but like yeah, a lot of people kind of come back to games later. They like do. I think, think so. Yeah. Once that you get that distance between the ones you grew up with and you're kind of yeah, back on them, you kind of. And want I to think there's them. questions to be asked about the stigma of being being yeah. a person, an adult who plays games. Because, Real talk, yes. Yeah, because if you say to someone when you're in your 30s, as I am, that, that um, well, for a start, the word gamer has, and probably not undeservedly so because of the behaviour of, of different mm. people on the yeah. internet, um, the word gamer carries with it a whole weight of associations um, um, that it's it's sometimes in a lot of people's eyes if you say you play computer games yeah. in your 30s they think you're some kind of a you know a baby baby brain or mm. you know a, basement you've, dweller yeah, yeah you've arrested development mm. and um, yeah you live in your parents <laughs> basement <laughs> and you know you have bad personal hygiene and stuff like yeah. this um, and kind of unreconstructed you know views on, on various yeah. issues and stuff I think like we pro- that people probably think of like FIFA and Call of Duty straight away you can say about that as well because there's so much more to games now yeah there was. definitely yeah. so it's like someone who plays like Nico Atsume or Candy Crush all day like my wife does Yeah, she's a gamer much more than I am but she just doesn't re- she wouldn't realise it yeah. you know like yeah, everybody a, kind of is now yeah well my fiance she, she's like like I said I it's funny um, I'm like probably really really into game culture but mm-hmm. but not great at playing them yeah but she's not so much into game culture but she's she's actually so so much better than me at playing them she mm-hmm. downloads um these strategy games and i i i just kind of look over her shoulder and see she's just trouncing people left <laughs> right and center like these clash of clan games and stuff. oh yeah, yeah. Uh, um she immediately just sort of powers up and beats all the, the novices and she's on to the next level and mm. she just she's just it's and then i think maybe i'm stupid <laughs> <laughs> i can't do strategy yeah. games even like command and conquer and stuff back in the day i just and like yeah. everybody was obsessed with Red Alert remember in school you just yeah. make me very panicked I feel like yeah, it takes them the all too much to hire yeah. there's it's a lot like... of micromanagement and, yeah. and it's funny because in her in her job she's she you know there's I see it in that analogous she's quite she's quite good at strategizing and managing mm. so so it, um, 
but I would not dare play because I, w- I would be have my ass handed to me <laughs> even, like in probably in any game I yeah. think she would learn it so quickly yeah that's really I mean Carrie yeah. got wicked competitive sure Alan was with this Alan Karsh in our house last night before yeah. we came out to record and we cracked up Mario Kart and me and Kerry oh, cool. were kind of getting fairly you serious about it, each it was other. Yeah, like it we was were really <laughs> it was pretty pretty intense when we were living in America and we got Mario Kart 8 we played it nearly every night because it was just like crack the knuckles get out the frustrations of the day let's go and it you know doesn't, doesn't quite descend into name calling mm. but, um, yeah. but it gets pretty it's subtext, like, the subtext is there do you yeah. hate that <laughs> do you hate do you hate that shell that I just hit you with do you yeah. hate that like it's pretty, it's pretty funny but uh Good yeah. old Mario Kart. Oh yeah. man, it's just the most. It's it's been a miracle since day one, frankly, and it's yeah. only gotten better. But uh, the yeah, the, your, it's, it is a funny thing about the stigma because I love talking about video games. I love listening. I read about video games all the time. I watch YouTube video games of other people playing video games all the time. But when I meet somebody in the wild who is like, "Oh, I'm a gamer," I'm like immediately going. Oh God! Do you hate me? Do you, mm. Are you gonna? Are you one of these people who says horrible things to me on the internet? Mm. Or ah, who are? Are you a good guy? Are you a bad guy? Ah, should I? Yeah, did I jump not, on your head? I don't know. Yeah, so it, sure it, it, it and it's nerve wracking. And I don't yeah. meet many other women who. I worked in GameStop for two and a half years, and I met the odd other woman who worked in who loved video games through that. But by and large, it was just this ocean of, of bros, mm. and or early sort of prototype bros because it was ten years ago, and. Um, before we had a word for it. And um, I'm sure there were words for it back then, but before it was an easy social sort of button to press. And uh, I was taught to be embarrassed of the fact that I played video games because mm. I was a girl, because automatically there was quizzing and there was, now you're not really a gamer and oh, you're just doing it for attention. And I'm kind of sitting there going, I don't think I would have gotten these tattoos if I was just doing <laughs> it for it. I don't, mm. I got a Super Nintendo when I was six. Like I, played a lot of this by myself for many years before I learned to talk to anybody about it and like I was saying earlier it's hardly brunch conversation with other with other mm. ladies and things mm. like that it's a funny thing to to carry so much love for and to exist with in almost isolation that mm. it's like I don't play a lot of multiplayer games other than Mario Kart um, but by and large it's sort of this solo quest that you go on by yourself and uh it's a real delight to actually get to hear other people talk about it and to speak to them about it, but not feel like you have to have an argument. Mm. Yeah. You know, that it's a, ben- a benign, cheerful conversation you can have with other people about video games that doesn't end in, like, women's rights, ah, no, no. you know, <laughs> which I'm all about and I'm always ready to do. Like, I'm, I'm two seconds off it at any point, but it's, re- it's refreshing to talk to people about it and not have to, not have to sort of defend myself, I guess, mm. you know? It's a strange thing. Yeah, so you mentioned multiplayer multiplayer games. Mm. That's another one. I I I'm ter- I've never played a multiplayer game, um, and it's kind of it's kind of one of the the, the great new well, in terms of the entire history of games, um, it's it became it's a modern phenomenon, a, a big thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, they always just absolutely terrified me, and I think it's something to do with my. Uh, my introvert, my introversion that I, I'm uh, when I'm playing a game, um, I, I don't want the unpredictability or the, yeah. the mm. um, you can learn a game, yeah, that, or, that, game. Yeah. or even, yeah, mm. or, or even just like, like the idea of another human frightens me. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what it is, but like, I watch my friends playing multiplayer games and they're like barking into the into their headsets, you know, <gasps> at, at people and they're, you know, they're. Like um, I have a friend who who um, plays plays um, Call of Call of Duty, mm. 
well, used to play it on the Xbox 360. He's in his, he, he was in his like early 30s and he would be shouting at these like 15-year-old kids over <laughs> yeah. in America telling them what to do or they would be telling him to, to get screwed and he'd be saying, yeah, go up yourself and all this. And I, I, it just, to me, it just seems like this crazy, Irish. wild yeah. chaos that I don't, I, I want to, I just want to be in this um, magical universe where I'm yeah. the only hum- human <laughs> exactly when, I, when I'm playing a game yeah like with the team ones especially like we used to go play the Ninja Cafe in Cork and play Battlefield when we were in college and you feel like you're letting people down yeah, the pressure. All the things that you want to escape I'm so from sorry, in real everybody. life yeah. when you're playing a game <laughs> yeah. suddenly are back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> crushing weight of other people's expectations. And and, and, yeah. and and you know there are cases where 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 documented cases where multiplayer games have led to real life violence and mm. indeed mur- up to including murder. Like um, Eve Online is just Eve Online is nuts. the big. I can one. read about Eve yeah. without ever playing it. So, I never so played it, but Eve I can read on, about it. Eve Online, uh, maybe for the podcast listeners. Yeah, because this podcast is probably. Podcast <laughs> is probably quite ar- arcane now yeah. at this stage. This is what we want, though. Yeah. Um, It'll find its dear love. I feel like there's a bunch of people out there who've been waiting for this. Yeah. You know, Eve, Eve Online is a space management si- and and combat simulator game where where there's like um, hundreds of thousands of people who are flying spaceships from the very tiniest little spaceships to these gigantic behemoth spaceships um, that are, that they trade it's kind of like a capitalism simulator what is that people form yeah. corporations so, so they stuff. form yeah. these corporations they form these alliances um, and they either go into battle or they, they go into treaties they they discover goods and they they exchange them for prices and then they plot like wars and they mm. plot um, and it all takes place in this this you know it, Universe, it's space, you know. Yeah. So, so it, um, um, the vastness of it can't be um, overstated. But the biggest ships you can get in Eve can be bought with a mixture of the online currency and real life mm. currency because there is a secondary kind of, kind of in in all these games. And they try, they always try and weed it out, but they never can fully weed it out. There's mm. sort of behind the scenes uh, black market going on ah, where people yeah. are buying, buying. Uh, people who have more money to spend can buy more power for themselves within yeah. the game. Um, but the biggest ships in it um, can have a real world value of four or five thousand quid. <laughs> and um, I think it was in Korea, some guy lost a weapon or, or, a, or a ship or something in EVE and the person who it, the person who it happened to was so aggrieved, he kind of did a, a, a doxing or an IP hunt on the person now this could be like this could be me completely get missing this but there is a story that's like this and this is i think i think this is accurately what happened he he um uh found the guy and murdered him (laughs) in real life yeah so so yeah that's that's the kind of probably a good morality tale that that backs up my uh, mm. um, distrust and fear of multiplayer games. Yeah. My favourite Eve story is that there was like, you know, there are corporations that they have like CEOs and financial officers and you have to basically join one of these corporations or they will just crush you. And Sounds like real life. <laughs> yeah, but something awful have their own corporation. Oh my God. And they managed to turn like the treasury officer of the biggest corporation and he gave all their info to them. And they destroyed like three hundred thousand dollars worth of their ships, oh like of real world money. And there's like things of like people going to 
people's houses and cutting their power it's at like vital moments and stuff. It's like a capitalist nightmare. It, it really is. It's it completely makes you unfettered. Of the modern like, world. Yeah. And it makes you, you wish that like... Um, Roland Barthes or, or Theodore Adorno or someone was around <laughs> oh to write the, the you know, to write the, the big essay on, on what's so uh, troubling and weird mm. about about this game and, and um to kind of cast a kind of an eye over it. I think it's there's a lot of fascinating things to be said mm. about modern the modern world in yeah. in, in microcosm and in, in terms that game. of like people like Roland Barthes, I feel like those theorists are beginning to bloom, but unfortunately anytime anybody writes anything interesting or critical or attempts to elate gaming in the gaming in like the critical gaze to something that is looked upon like cinema, then a gamer has just come for them. I feel like yeah. anytime gaming is treated with the same integrity as cinema, especially through any any sort of critical theory lens, uh, let alone feminism, people just come for them, mm. and they are literally chased off. I mean, they are doxxed, they are uh, mm. they are swatted. They they call the cops and send SWAT teams ter- to it home. It is fraught territory. It's mm. it's yeah. It's, it's defended so ardently. Yeah. That like, God, I would lo- I would love to write about gaming, but my God, it's not worth it. Yeah. Mm. It's not worth it for me, and Just that a, is the that's a heartbreaker. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting kind of psych- like you could do kind of armchair psychology, and it's tempting to, but 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 um, it reminds me a lot of of people who I knew that were into heavy metal, um, mm. um, kind of in group out group ideas yeah. that 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 they codify their you know who and what they are, um, and be distrust because possibly. Like people now, this is me being an armchair psychologist, and hey, possibly, possibly entirely wrong. But um, maybe people who who earlier in their lives might have been mistreated or felt rejected, mm. um, and that when they form their own groups, um, I think the 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 codifications become quite strong, and the you know the the sort of rules and and the, the the sense of the group becomes maybe not in a good way um Charged. Uh, yeah and mm. and there's kind of gatekeeping and um anger and grievance and hurt you know mm. um um and, and it's no coincidence that, that a lot of them are, are, are probably men who 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 are maybe lonely or or you know have mm. have had difficulties maybe been bullied that kind of stuff you get a sense of it um um and now i'm painting a very broad brush strokes here which is something i don't like to do and i don't like to be teleological so i i, I i'm saying all that with a kind of a uh, quali- qualification, yeah, yeah, that I'm not, I'm not speaking in absolutes here. Mm. It's just a floating, a, 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 an idea, you know. Mm. But, but it's real, and it's it's something that I. That's that's why I I I feel like I, I love games from a, from a distance, from a non <laughs> a non presence. Like I would love to tweet about them more. I would love to talk about them more. But I maybe that world isn't for me. Maybe the mm. games are for me, but maybe mm. the world of it isn't for me. And that's a bummer. Mm. But okay, yeah, because that means I still get to go and enjoy the games. Yeah, I still get to go and play. It's about play, and you know. I've noticed this thing as well. Um, I don't pay close that close in attention because because I've never really identified. It's funny for all my interest in games, it's probably because I'm not that good at them. I've never really identified as a gamer, mm. Mm. so I only pay kind of passing attention to all the politics and the Gamergate thing and all that that happened. Oh, we've said it now. <laughs> don't put that in the episode <laughs> description. Yeah. Um, <laughs> don't want them to find us. Uh, that, but but like, like, like I've seen some truly repugnant stuff being kind of um, alluded to online and the, the most the most interesting thing is is this idea that that if um, 
a woman games journalist or a woman um, is employed kind of in a visible way by a games corporation, there's this immediate sort of witch hunt to find out is she an authentic gamer mm. or not yeah. or is she just a pretend nerd um, this goes into the broader aspects of, of so called nerd culture um, where you will have people saying no she's pretending to be a nerd for attention um, and pretending to be a nerd to earn money um, but it's always a female and it's, oh, yeah, yeah. it's, it's so it's, it's yeah it's fascinating in its repugnance and um, uh, something yeah something that that definitely is out there and, and um, probably part of the reason why we mentioned the, stig- the stigma, why, why there is, there might mm. be, you know, there might be good reason for, for elements of, of the, the stigma. Um, but it's a shame. It's a shame that, mm. that games, um, I think, but at the same time, uh, I would say that, you know, like any new art form is always sort of, kind of rubbished and distrusted at the beginning like mm. you think of mm. surrealism and art and dadaism and the entire history of art and poetry that you know the experimental stuff is always kind of by the people who who are afraid of it or don't want to engage with it it's very easy to call it out as spoofery or rubbish or mm. whatever um and then you know it's only later but slowly you know the quality is 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 you know, hopefully finds its way and, and, and enters. Now, I don't like the idea of canon, but enters into a, you know, a, a, canon a, rec- of yeah, a recollected, yeah. you know, um, memory of what's good. Mm. Um, uh, recollected memory of what's good. <laughs> that's, an, that's amazing. Um, I love that. Um, but, but like, I think games are, it, it is going that way. Like the artistry definitely, and especially in Japan of, of stuff like the Mega Man games were kind of the peak of the 8-bit, I think, and, and Mario. Um, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff, I think, is is being recognized as the art it is. And mm. art is a, is a, is a word but that gets Mario's thrown around. But 25 years yeah. old. Yeah. It's so yeah. young. It's and come so far. Like and it is, films it is, up to I, this stuff is art, yet. you know. Yeah. Um, and do, when you do oh, think like, you know, like there the, are the poets, um, uh, you know, that, that, that have fallen out of favor for, for 100 or 150 years after mm. they, they wrote their poems. That's how long it takes people to, to get back into them and, and say, oh, okay, you know, this, this you know, and, and in art, there are very glaring <laughs> examples like, you know, Vincent van Gogh. Mm. And, um, you know, he, it was two or three years after it was, you know, he, the first positive review of his paintings was, was, within months of him dying by mm. a French critic and, and it was still a good bit after that before um, there was a general or not even general like, just among enough people to, to, to get people noticing him mm. it was it was it took a few a good few yeah. years um, and it can take longer you know like in po- poetry there have been poets so it has been a hundred mm. years or more you know 200 with, with games I think maybe with like maybe pop culture in general there's the instant reaction now so things don't even get that chance yeah, they're just gone if they're not. Instantly yeah, things light. are judged in a minute, yeah. and it's funny, uh, and uh, and it happens with TV as well. Mm. Like I, I, I often um, read with with complete um, disbelief or or, or, or skepticism these. Um, you know, reviews of, of a TV show the day after it came on or its yeah. first episode. <laughs> how, like, how can they know? Um, mm. Like, like something a, a good. TV show is is it has to play out its story over twelve episodes. I don't yeah. know how someone can say after episode one this is a turkey, mm-hmm. which they do. And I know it's the nature of of 
Reviewing. Yeah, and click, yeah. clicks and money and, and the whole thing. But um, um, yeah, it really bugged me about like like uh, something that I think will be on TV just to, 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 to step into a different art form um, that came on recently that, that was rubbish all over America. Um, they were talking about it in terms of this is the greatest turkey ever and it was the second season of True Detective. I think okay. that'll be... I think people will look back and say... No, actually, that that was the the TV show that kind of defined its moment, and I think I think a lot of it was people were allergic to it or couldn't make head or tail out of its its weird critique of of capitalist America um, and um, what's kind of going on in America right now at the moment, as opposed to the idealized version that you get in other TV shows mm. that might be more comforting um, because it presents a sort of a nightmare version of America. Um, but I, I just couldn't get over the absolute, like, like they were just, they, it was across yeah. the board, it was pan. I think a lot of people were maybe embarrassed by how much they liked season one up until the ending. Yeah. And then they kind of went, oh, that they, they were a little bit embarrassed by how much they got over season one yeah so I had to pull it back actually I didn't watch all season two of it I kind yeah. of got a bit bored but I'm going to go back it to it is now weird. I'm going to pull it out the unpopular yeah. opinion Claxon hated it hated yeah. season one so mad I'm like why are all the women in this mothers are strippers why what a masculinity crisis I was just like oh look at all my nopes you know and you know but but I think even even I think the director in season two there, I think there is an under um, toe that addresses um, there's there's a very I think there's a very sophisticated and nuanced um, uh, narrative about about female sexuality okay. and I think it's a complete response actually um, and almost a sort of uh, holding his hands up to the first uh, um, you know or, or saying you know look you know this mm. is but but again like like it's a it's weird, and I could be wrong. And um, I like the I did. Um, I did enjoy the weird touches. The, I was excited for the weirdness. Yeah, but then it it just was everything about it. Though it has this weird kind of peculiar gold color, and and it, it cuts to these shots of the, the L.A. freeway at night, um, and they're truly uncanny. And it's really like it really got under my skin. And mm. I think that would be as good, a, a, I suppose, as good a reason to say something is is good. Um, if it affects you in that way, you know, if yeah. it makes the hairs on your neck stand up, or you know, if it has a kind of a peculiar. Yeah, I don't think I don't pull. need things like hold together in every single way and be perfect. If as long as it leaves something, yeah, which you like, just some kind of images in your head when you think of it, like, yeah, works yeah. well. Well, True yeah. Detective Two is full of weird. Yeah, it starts with like, like I liked it from the very first. It it, it starts with like this blood sky over over these mountains in in LA and. It's called the um, Western Book of the Dead, um, which is a play on the Tibetan. The first episode was called the Western Book of the Dead, which is a play on uh, obviously on the Tibetan Book of the Dead. But I think as well, it's a play on um, a book by Cormac McCarthy called Blood Meridian. Um, And it's saying that Blood Meridian is the Western Book of the Dead. And Blood Meridian identifies America as a country born out of genocide and violence that never quite came to terms with it, that mm. the continuum wasn't broken. And it seems to be saying, because the, see, Blood Meridian has um, a parenthesis underneath the title. It's like Moby Dick. It's called Moby Dick or the Whale, but Blood Meridian is Blood Meridian or the, the evening redness in the West. So, so it seems to be a kind of a, you know, saying 
the Blood Meridian America is what's caused the Nightmare America that's in True Detective season mm. two. But that could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> a whole other podcast, yeah. That's be back. Let's bring it back to Wolf and Sam briefly yeah. for a finish. Um, I can do, yeah. I can do um, impersonations of some of the sound effects. Let's do that. Well, no, yeah. well, for, first is, is, well, they're not good. <laughs> but, but I realised that they're, you know, you've got a kind of a lizard brain where like, oh, yeah, things, yeah. That, the things that you saw when you were a child that you didn't realise, they're still mm. all in there. And yeah. I was really good at playing it as well, actually. I, could, I, I knew where all the guards were and stuff. But, but just before, they, they say that the, the, um, the German in the game, they speak in little sound bites of German, the baddies, and that, that it was completely ungrammatical because the guys had a had a, a bad German translation program or something <laughs> um, so the German is all grammatically faulty and everything but the first scar goes hurts <laughs> <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then the, like you know the way like the, something I also was really stupid in Wolfenstein is, is, is that you can collect treasure as well as kill things yeah. um, but there seems to be no point to collecting the treasure you don't win any prizes for mm-hmm. it you, you have a score but the score seems completely redundant um, but it goes <laughs> 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 and then there's dogs I can't see the dogs but they bark and um, it, like a lot of it is so peculiar it's almost camp uh, you can eat the dog food or for, for energy and the other thing you can eat is like this, these lovely chicken roast dinners <laughs> oh just like, like sitting randomly all over the, the castle that's the like ground. the full turkeys you find in bins and yeah, rage. Yeah, yeah. yeah 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 so um, yeah it's um it's it's uh, what we would say it's seminal it's a game that has mm. completely um probably created a genre and jo- like like aspects that were innovated in the game are still being replicated in games 25 years later which is absolutely mind blowing mm. so um yeah a good game there we go all right thank you so much Darren Griffin <laughs> thanks everybody Woo! bye bye and that's it um, thank you again so much to Dara McCausland and Sarah Marie Griffin um, like I said originally Dara's work can be read in Stonecutter Gorse and Dublin Review and Sarah Marie Griffin's book Sparrow Found Parts is out in October um, please uh, support Headstuff's Patreon at patreon.com .com I'm not sure forward slash Headstuff um, you get the cool things and it helps support this website and keeps the podcast going um, subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes because that's really important because it gets it up into the charts and such which I love because I'm an egomaniac and what else listen to other things on the Headstuff Podcast Network because they're all really good for instance Alice's Little Show Fascinated with Goro Farley Noan Corb Dave Hanratty and the original Headstuff Podcast this is a that was a, quite a DJ voice, wasn't it? It wasn't. It sounded terrible, but I, in my head, it's a DJ voice. Like a hey. Anyway, thank you. Goodbye. See you next time. Goodbye.